Romans chapter 8. <coughs> and let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you this day that uh, we have a God who loves us, a God who cares, a God who saves, and we thank you for the privilege of being your children. We thank you for your word. We pray, Father, today as we open up the pages of your word and we look into its truth, that, Lord, you'd guide us into all truth. Lord, that the Spirit of God would indeed illuminate us and help us understand what your word is saying. Lord, give me wisdom, I pray, from on high. Just enable me, give me the words to say. Allow me, Father God, to say only that which you would have me to say. And may today be a day of blessing for each and every one of us so that we might leave this place singing your praise. Guide us now, we pray, as we look into your word. Give us wisdom, we pray. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We said that Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 17, declares that life as believers can be lived on one of three levels. And that the passage encouraged you and I to live on the third of those levels, the highest level. The first level is life in the flesh, which we found in Romans 8, verses 5 through 9. The second level is life with the Spirit, Romans 8, 9 through 11. And now today we come to the third and final of those levels, and that is life controlled by the Spirit here in verses 12 through 17. You know, the miraculous gift of new life, the miraculous gift of the new birth, which is essential for salvation is always the work of God's Holy Spirit. And as Christians, we should praise the Lord that we are part of God's family, but we should also praise the Lord that because you and I are saved, because we're part of God's family, that now we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, or as we saw last week in Romans 8 9, that he has a home in us. He's taken up residence within all believers. He indwells us. And for that, we ought to praise God. For that, we ought to give thanks. And being indwelt means that there are certain things that you and I need to understand. And firstly, we need to have a right response to the leading of the Holy Spirit. For firstly, God's Spirit empowers us. Look in verses 12 and 13. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, he shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Here in these verses, Paul shows you and I how we should respond to our position in Christ. And that's the last part of verse 13. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. That's the response that we ought to have. But first, in verse 12 and 13a, he shows us that we owe nothing to the flesh that you and I have no obligation to live according to the dictates of the flesh. Notice what he says there in verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are dead as not of the flesh to live after the flesh. Therefore, brethren, due to this, due to what's been said in the previous verses, verses 1 through 11, you and I have no obligation to the flesh. Look what he says in verses 9 through 11. He said, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit of his life because of righteousness. 
But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are dead as not to the flesh. Because of the work of the spirit of God in our life, because you and I are now in Christ, because the body is dead, because the old man is dead, because of that, you and I now are in Christ. And because we're in Christ and the Spirit of God dwells in us, we have life. We don't owe anything to the flesh. We have no obligation to the flesh. You know, because the flesh has only brought trouble into our lives. The old evil corrupt flesh has been nothing but a drag upon us. In fact, in Christ, if Christ had not saved us, the flesh would have dragged us down to the deepest, darkest, hottest places in hell. The flesh has no control over us now that we're saved. Because of salvation, Christ has set us free from any obligation of the flesh. But what happens if we do walk after the flesh? Well, Paul wants to remind us just one more time in this section, which he's been telling us about in verses 1 through 11, he wants to remind us one more time what the consequence is for believers of walking after the flesh. He spells it clearly for us again in verse 13. He says this, For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. If you live after the flesh, literally, if you are living after the flesh, ye are about to to die. Death is all that awaits you. Now, that doesn't mean you can lose your salvation because you can't. You know, we can't lose our salvation. We are in the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord is in the Father's hand and no man can pluck us out. Once saved, we're always saved. There's no way that you and I can lose our salvation. It's a fact of Scripture. Over and over again, the Bible explains that when we're saved, we're saved unto eternal life. Not temporary life, not provisional life, not uh, uh, any other kind of life. We're saved to eternal life. We can't lose our salvation. So he's not talking about you and I dying here spiritually and spending eternity in the lake of fire. Death, as we have seen in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, death, as we see, means that we'll be unable to please God. We'll have a separation from God, and all that we do, therefore, cannot please him. The process is this, if we walk after the flesh, we come under the condemnation of the law of sin, which we've seen, which then produces death, corruption, and you and I cannot please God. Remember the apostle spelled this out clearly, he said those that are in the flesh, those unsaved, cannot please God, it's impossible to please God, but ye are in the spirit, therefore it is possible for us to please God. But if we walk after the flesh, we will not please him. And then he gives us the alternative. And the alternative sounds a whole lot better. Look at the end of verse 13. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now the little word if there suggests the possibility exists to do either. You and I can either live after the flesh 
or we live after the Spirit. It's an if. It's a possibility. It's a probability here. It is possible for you and I to live after the Spirit. And that's how we ought to live as believers. You know, every family member has responsibilities. And the same is true in God's family. You and I who are saved, you and I have been born into the family of God, you and I are in, now in Christ because of faith in Him, have a responsibility within the family of God. And our responsibility as believers is found here in verse 13, and that is that we are through the Spirit to mortify the deeds of the body. If you and I want to live, if you and I want to have a life that's productive, if you and I want to have a life that pleases God, then you and I have to mortify the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. Now notice, and by the way, the deeds of the body here is the evil deeds of the body. That's the implication of this passage. Okay, there are certain things that you and I do in this body that are not evil and we therefore, you know, not recognized by God that need to be put to death. But it's the evil deeds of the body that we're to mortify. Now notice who it is who has to take the action here in verse 13. Who is the one who has to do the mortifying? It says, but if ye, therefore, if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. If ye, we are the ones who have to take the initiative here. You and I have to take the action. We have to mortify the deeds of the flesh in our body. Now, the word mortify simply means to put to death. And it's a continual action. And what he's saying is that if you are continually putting to death, not the flesh itself, but if you're continually putting to death the deeds, the practices, the habits of the flesh, ye shall live. We will have a life that produces godliness. We'll have a life that brings glory to God. We will be living the life of Christ. We'll be living a life that pleases the Lord. But notice what the verse also says, and this is important. It says, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. It's through the Spirit that we mortify the deeds of the body. The Holy Spirit is the agency whereby we receive the empowering to mortify the body. You and I are to mortify the body. We're to mortify the flesh. We're to put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh. But the means by which we do that is not in our own strength. It's not by might and nor by our power, but it's by His Spirit, saith the Lord. It's by the Holy Spirit this happens. It's through His power. We mortify the deeds of the body through the agency of the Holy Spirit. He's indwelling us. And He's empowering us. And as He empowers you and I, as we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. We will indeed mortify the flesh. He provides the power. But you and I must make use of that power. The Spirit enables us to put to death the flesh so we can live for God, but you and I need to access that power by faith. 
as we study the Word of God, as we pray, as we walk with the Lord and uh, we rely upon Him, He empowers us to mortify the flesh. It's the Spirit who gives the strength. It's the Spirit of the Spirit alone that is the agency of life. And so by the power of the indwelling Spirit, Holy Spirit, we are to put to death, we're to mortify the flesh. You know, God didn't save you and I so we can go our merry way and live in the flesh. The Lord saved us. He, made, he put the old man to death. He gave you and I the indwelling Holy Spirit so that you and I might live for him, so that we might be empowered to serve him, so we might be empowered to bring glory to God. That's why he saved us. He wants to empower us to obey Christ and enable us to be more like Christ. So because you and I are indwelt by the Spirit, we need to have a right response to the leading of the Spirit because the Spirit empowers us. And secondly, because you and I are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we need to have a right response to the leading of the Holy Spirit for God's Spirit gives sonship. God's Spirit gives sonship. Look in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, by walking after the Spirit, the Spirit produces life in us, spiritual life. By walking after the Spirit, we continually put to death the deeds of the flesh. And to do all this requires that someone be led by the Spirit. So Paul gives us this assurance in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. If you're the Son of God, then you are led by the Spirit. Okay, we read verse 13, and we're to mortify the deeds of the flesh through the Spirit. The question then is, well then, do I have the power of the Spirit within me? And the Paul goes on to say, yes you do, because if you're saved, then you are led by the Spirit. For as many as are led by the Spirit, he says, they are the sons of God. Now the Spirit has made us one of Christ. Back in verse 9 of this chapter, it says this, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So we are one of his children because we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, and we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us because we're saved. Here the leading of the Holy Spirit testifies to us being the Son of God. Here the Apostle is trying to explain to us that you and I can know that we are the sons of God because of the testimony of the Spirit of God in our lives. If you are a son of God, you are led by His Spirit. Now, the word led here in verse 14 literally has the idea for as many as are being led. It's the continual leading by the Spirit. This continual leading of the Spirit shows that we are the sons of God. God the Holy Spirit guides every one of us as believers by His Word day by day and seeks to give us the victory by empowering us. We're not dead as to the flesh. We're the sons of God. And as sons of God, as children of God, you and I are being led by the Spirit. We can mortify the flesh, 
because God's Spirit indwells us. And so Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, says a person is not a son of God if he's not led by the Holy Spirit. Here is one of the ways in which you know that you're saved. The leading of the Holy Spirit testifies to that fact. It's only fitting that the sons of God should be led by the Spirit of God. Now, we should not think that being led by the Spirit is a precondition to being the Son of God. That's not what he's saying here. Instead, we become sons of God first by faith in Jesus Christ. When you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're born in the family of God. We're born again. We are his sons. Sonship comes first. And then the Spirit of God leads his children. But according to verse 14, the test for sonship is whether or not we've been led by the Spirit of God. You and I can know that we're saved. You and I can know that we are the sons of God by the testimony of the Spirit of God leading us day by day. Now it's true that we become more conscious of the leading of the Spirit as we walk after the Spirit. Okay, so the longer we're saved, the more we yield to the Lord, the more we surrender to His will, the more time we spend in His Word, the more time we spend time in prayer, the more time that we are growing in the Lord, the more conscious we will become of the leading of the Spirit of God. That is true. And theoretically, the longer we're saved, the more conscious we should be of that leading. We should be acutely aware that the Spirit of God is leading us. But even as babes in Christ, one of the the evidence of salvation is the leaning of the Spirit of God. That all of a sudden, the things that you love to do, you have this nagging feeling within you that that is not according to the will of God, that this is not a work of the Spirit, this is a work of the flesh. That the Spirit of God is telling you that, listen, this is not where we ought to be walking. He's testifying, He's leading in our lives. But that leading is only possible because we are the sons of God. And every believer, every truly born-again person knows the leading of God to some degree or other. That's what verse 14 says. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So as sons of God, we are debtors to the Spirit to follow his leading. The idea here is explained by the commentator Hendrickson. He said this, the people who are putting to death this disgraceful misdeeds of the body are able to do so because they are being the sons of God, are being constantly led by the Spirit of God. It's because we are the sons of God that we're able to put to death the deeds of the flesh. As children, therefore, we need to cooperate with the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you and I want to have lives that are productive, have lives that please God, lives that bring glory to God, if we want to have lives that have purpose and meaning, then you and I need to cooperate with the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not enough for us to have the Spirit. The Spirit must also have us. 
Now, you and I have the Spirit of salvation. But what God wants from you and I is that not only do we have the Spirit, but that He has us. Isn't that what Ephesians 5.18 says? Be not drunk with wine, whereas excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's not us getting more and more of the Spirit because we have all the Spirit we're going to get at salvation. He indwells us. But the filling of the Spirit is Him getting more of us, surrendering more of our life to Him, cooperating with Him in our daily lives, allowing Him to lead us, being led by the Spirit because we are the sons of God. And only then can He share with us the abundant life that is ours in Christ Jesus. Only then will we be able to mortify the deeds of the flesh and the deeds of the body. Now we need to have a right response to leading the Spirit for the Spirit empowers us and because the Spirit gives sonship. Thirdly, we need to have a right response to leading the Spirit because God's Spirit is the Spirit of adoption. Look at verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. This verse tells us that before we were saved, when we were in our unsaved condition, we were in bondage to sin. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. We were in bondage to sin. We were slaves, sold unto sin, on our way to a Christless eternity. And because we were in bondage to sin, fear was upon us. That's what it says. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. This fear came upon, it came from knowing sin's consequences. The truth is, before we were saved, we were slaves to sin, sentenced to death, sentenced to a Christly turn in the lake of fire forever. And every sinner is subject to such fear of God, if they're honest, because they don't want to fall into the hands of an angry God. Look in Hebrews chapter 10, please. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31. says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The spirit of bondage under fear. And that fear is generated by the fact that it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. And every sinner is subject to such fear. But that's not true of you and I as believers. It's not true of you and I who know Jesus Christ the Savior. We don't have that kind of spirit now. Notice what he says, For ye have not the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye receive the spirit of adoption. By trusting Jesus Christ, we have received by faith the spirit of adoption. What a difference now that we're saved. Once you and I were slaves to sin, in bondage, held bound, slaves to sin. Now you and I are the sons of God and we've received the spirit of adoption. And when you understand what the word adoption means in the New Testament, because adoption in the New Testament is a little different to what you and I think adoption is. 
You know, when we think of adoption, we think of someone who was born into another family and they're adopted by a different family. Well, in God's standard, you're born into God's family and then you're also adopted into God's family. And the word adoption in the New Testament means being placed as adult sons. You see, we come to God's family by the new birth. That's John 3. He must be born again. So if you and I have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, and you and I have been born again, we've been born into God's family. As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, John 1, 12 tells us. We are his sons. We are his daughters. We are his children by faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation, new birth, takes place by faith in Jesus Christ. It's a, the act that takes place the moment we're saved. But along with the new birth comes adoption. The instant we're born into God's family, God adopts us and gives us the position of adult sons. Go to Galatians chapter 4, please. Galatians chapter 4, because Galatians 4 explains this to us a little bit more in detail. Galatians 4 verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying ever father wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son and if a son then an heir of God through Christ now the understanding of this passage and the one in Romans that we're looking at is that in the Roman household something unique happened often the master of a Roman household would take his son that was born and would place his son in the hands of the servants the servants would then raise that son, not as an heir, but as a servant. Even though that son was an heir to the father, even though that son was born into the household and was not a servant by birth, he was raised by the servants and the father would observe the son to see how that son would respond to his responsibilities. Then given at a certain time in that child's life, the father would then go and adopt his son back into the family with all the rights and privileges of adult sonship. That's the imagery here. Now, fortunately, in God's family, we're not saved and placed in the hands of servants and slaves to raise us for a while till God decides to adopt us. What happens in God's family is he saves us and adopts us. But the adoption is all about what we receive because we're sons and daughters of God. Because you and I are the children of God, because we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you and I are also adopted, and adoption speaks of what that entails. What does it mean to be God's children? Well, it means that you and I were saved when we were born again, we received all the rights and privileges of adult sonship. You know, a baby cannot walk. A baby cannot speak. A baby cannot make decisions. A baby cannot draw on the family's wealth. But as believers, we can do all of those things. 
The instant we're born again, you and I can walk spiritually. We can walk in the Spirit. You and I can make decisions. You and I can draw upon the family wealth. We can tap into the power that's available to us through the Spirit of God. And all the riches of God are at our disposal. You and I are adult sons and daughters. Because we've received God's Spirit, we have been adopted. This is a wonderful truth of salvation. Not only are we born into God's family, but He adopts us into His family and gives us all the rights and privileges of adult children from the moment of salvation. Pastor Mitchell in his notes on Romans says this, It's like a rich king who went to the slave markets and finding a slave redeemed him and clothed him and drew up papers not only to set him free, but to make him his son and heir. That is what happened to us. God went to the slave market of sin and purchased us with his own blood and set us free and made us sons and heirs of God. God's indwelling spirit places us as sons. Look again in verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage Again, to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Whereby? Paul says, because of this, because we've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption whereby, we, uh, spirit of adoption whereby, because of this, we now cry, Abba, Father. Think about that. As God's children, we do not say, Master. We do not say, sir. Neither do we say, mister. But you and I say, father. He's our father. The word Abba is an Aramaic word, and it's a personal name. We might say it's like the word dad. But it always occurs in the New Testament with father, so it's always Abba, father. They're never separated. Because he is our father, because we are his children, we get to call him Abba, Father. So it's not just like calling him Father as some generic term of respect. It's calling him Father with an intimacy that only children can call their dads Abba, Father. It's a term that's used by infants in the ancient world to speak of a, a ter, as a term of endearment and trust of their fathers. In the Gemara, the rabbinical commentary on the Mishnah, which is the Jewish Torah, the first five books of the Bible, in this rabbinical commentary, it states this. It states that slaves were forbidden to address the head of the family by this title. No slave could call the head of a family Abba. Abba Father. But you and I have been delivered from the slave market of sin. We've been placed in the family of God. We've been, received the spirit of adoption. And now you and I have the privilege of not only calling him Father, but calling him Abba Father. Pastor Mitchell, again, said this in his notes on Romans. He says, so through the indwelling ministry of the Spirit, we who were once slaves to sin now are placed as sons and can rightly address the head of the family as Abba, 
Father. You know, this speaks of a great privilege. It speaks of a new relationship. It speaks of a close relationship with God the Father. And this relationship is borne witness to by the Spirit. What a thrilling thing to have the Spirit of adoption working in us. You and I have the indwelling Holy Spirit and He is the Spirit of adoption. He's giving you and I access to all things that pertain to life and godliness. He gives to us all things that we need as adult sons to serve Him. He can... He empowers us, He enables us, He enriches us. He enables you and I to mortify the deeds of the flesh. You know, there's no need for you and I as believers to be defeated. If you and I will yield our wills to the spirits, by faith we can overcome the flesh because you and I have a special relationship with God. We're the adopted sons of God. We have at our disposal all things that we need for victory. We need to have a right response to leading the Holy Spirit because the Spirit empowers us and the Spirit gives sonship and the Spirit is the Spirit of adoption. And lastly, we need to have a right response to leading the Spirit because the Spirit gives assurance. Look in verses 16 and 17. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children and heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Romans 8, 16 tells us that his spirit communicates to our spirit and you place as children. It says the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. His spirit testifies to you and I of our place in God's family. One of the ways we know for sure that we're saved is that the Spirit of God ensures us that we are the sons of God. You know, that's why when a believer walks after the flesh, they lose their assurance of salvation. That's why fleshly Christians struggle with assurance of salvation. That's why those who pursue fleshly things struggle with assurance of salvation because when you're not walking in the Spirit but walking in the flesh, then you have no assurance of that salvation. But when you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit of God Himself testifies to you and I that we are the sons of God. And then you have no doubt of your position in Christ. Assurance of being a child of God is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, plainly put. Paul says that those who are born again by the Spirit of God don't have to wonder if we're really saved or not. The Spirit of God lets us know that we are. God's Spirit testifies the fact directly to our hearts. And he goes on and tells us, secondly, in Romans 8:17, that we're assured of this fact, that if children, then heirs, look at this, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Here is a second assurance. Not only are we assured by the Spirit of God indwelling us that we are the sons of God, but that assurance, that indwelling Holy Spirit also assures us that you and I are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Being a child of God also means that you and I have an inheritance. Because you and I are no longer in the flesh, but you and I are in Christ, we have the privilege of relating to the Father 
as Jesus does. Therefore, we are heirs of God, and this is the spectacular truth, joint heirs with Christ. Think about that for a moment. You and I are not only heirs of God, not only do we have an inheritance waiting us, but you and I have an inheritance that belongs to Jesus Christ. We are sharing in his inheritance. We're joint heirs with Christ. When the will is read, so to speak, what we receive in our inheritance is exactly what Jesus Christ receives in his. That's an amazing truth. We're joint heirs with Christ. I don't think you and I can begin to imagine what that means. I read somewhere once that uh, a young child was talking about heaven and he had this dream about heaven and he said it was wonderfully imagined. He heard a sermon on being joined with Christ and he imagined going to heaven and as he walked around heaven he saw the pearly gate. He said, that's mine. He saw the golden street said, that's mine. He saw the crystal river said, that's mine. He walked around saying, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. And the reality is what's Christ is ours because we're joint heirs with Christ. The glorious privilege to know we're not just sons, but we're heirs. The verse then finishes with this statement. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Here's another evidence of our salvation. Not only does the Spirit of God bear witness with us, but we are the sons of God. Not only have we received the Spirit of adoption, not only does the Spirit of God testify that we are his sons because we are joined heirs with Christ, but if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. How do I know that I'm the child of God? One commentator said this, I know that I am a child if I'm willing when necessary necessity demands to endure suffering for the sake of Christ. You see, God's children are not immune to suffering. Part of the package deal of being the sons of God and joined heirs with Christ, being adopted into God's family, part of the package is that you and I will suffer. As far as God is concerned, when you and I became part of his family, you and I also become partakers of the suffering of Christ. No matter how our flesh may want to have the inheritance and the glory without the suffering, the promise is that the children of God and heirs of God will share his suffering. So in other words, as you and I as believers suffer for the Lord, we shouldn't be surprised about that because it's part and parcel of being the sons of God. The privilege of salvation is that we are his sons. We're adopted in the family of God. We're joined heirs with Christ. But part of that privileged position is that you and I will also suffer with him. But beloved, the Lord shall share in the glory. Share in the glory. One day, we, it will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. One day, we will hear from his lips the welcoming words of Matthew 25. 23, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. In verse 18, the apostle is going to pick up this theme of suffering and explain it more and expand it more. But today, the privilege of being indwelt by the Spirit means that we need to have a right response to the leading of the Spirit in our lives. 
Because the Spirit of God empowers us. God's Spirit gives you and I sonship. God's Spirit is the Spirit of adoption. And the Spirit of God gives you and I assurance. The indwelling of the Spirit is a great privilege that you and I have as believers. But in order to have a productive life, we must walk in His power. So that we might daily mortify the flesh and live for Christ. We've got to praise God today that when we got saved, when we were saved and born again, that God gave you and I the indwelling Holy Spirit because that's a great privilege. And with that privilege comes responsibility. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Father, for the truth of uh, this book of Romans and for this glorious message of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father God, that he empowers us. We thank you, Father God, that he gives unto us sonship. We thank you that we are not only sons, but we're adopted into the family with all the rights and privileges of adult sonship. We thank you, Father, that he also gives assurance that we indeed will one day joined you in glory as joined heirs with Christ. In the meantime, Father, help us to live this life by the power of the Spirit, to endure tribulation when necessary, to honor you daily that you might get to receive all the praise and all the glory. Bless us now, we pray as we close the hymn. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.